Thanks, Scott. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. I wanted to... Uh, I think some of you maybe have met um, Pastor Harold and his wife Deborah Bullock before, and I wanted to let you know that they're here worshiping with us. Um, if you guys could stand, they're over here on the right, and uh, just like to welcome you guys. Harold and Deborah have been serving the Lord in Fort Worth, Texas, um, so they are out here, and they um, have just dropped in to, to say hi to us. About 13 years ago, I met Harold and his wife Deborah, and I met Harold. I was fresh out of college. And I was tagging along to a conference with one of my mentors. And my mentor introduced me to Harold. And it was a real pivotal time in my life where um, I was trying to sort out decisions of what to do with my life and my future. And, and he said some things to me that really stuck with me as far as um, what to use my 20s for. I was just beginning my 20s, and he really encouraged me to use my 20s for training. And um, he encouraged me to really plug in and stay put at a place where I was getting that. And I was involved in a church in Diamond Bar. And he um, challenged me, and I was thinking about doing this and that, and I was kind of scattered, and he really helped me um, focus on something that was really important to do in my 20s. And so I am indebted to Harold and, and his um, conversation, and then more than that, just his um, investment in leaders that um, have been building into me. And so we appreciate you guys. And just they, they um, out of their church, they've trained up, there's been about 70 um, churches, church planters that have been trained up in his church in Texas and sent out, you know, God's led them to plant in their lives in different places. And so um, we go back a few times a year to be a part of some of the conferences that Harold puts together on wisdom and on how church um, works. And so um, if you get a chance, introduce yourself to him before he leaves today. He's just here for today. And so um, we appreciate you guys being here with us. This morning we're beginning a brand new series called Through God's Eyes. So I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We just thank you for bringing us here, God. Coming out of a probably very stressful week, many people are probably tired and just needing encouragement. And um, you know, there's different tension and challenges we're facing right now. So God, I pray that you'd speak to us, God, in a very real way. We ask that your word would, would, would just cut through to the core of some of the issues that we're facing. And Lord, I pray we connect with you, the living God, who desires to, to get our attention and, and speak to us, God. I pray that um, for those that are just searching, Lord, for answers, Lord, I pray that they would um, find them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you see, we, we've launched this new series, Through God's Eyes, and it's probably no mystery to you that God sees things different than you and I see things. Um, I view things and you view things through our perspective through our lenses and we make a judgment on what's really going on in life and we relate to people based on our viewpoint of things and what we think they um, need to hear or what they deserve and so um, but God he views things from a very very different perspective and that's what I want to look at over the course of this next three weeks we're going to be looking through an Old Testament book called the book of Jonah and it really gets at some of the issues of how God views people and how different we are in our natural approach to when we view people. God, for example, shows grace, kindness, mercy to people who really don't deserve it. We find that throughout the scripture, but we see that emphasized in the book we're going to look at. But I'm not usually quick to do that. I'm not usually quick to show grace, kindness, mercy to people. On the, on the opposite, I'm, you know, more, I can be reactive, I can withdraw. And so, 
through God's eyes, he sees things very, very different than you and I do. A recent example of this and how I view things differently is because I'm kind of a black and white person. So if, and I'm also a, a rule follower. So I know this about myself is I like to follow the rules and I like other people to follow the rules. And if I keep the rules, then I think I deserve the reward of following the rules. And if other people follow the rules, then I believe they deserve the reward of following the rules. I think that is really important to follow the rules. Except for when I don't follow the rules. <laughs> if I break the rules, then I, I kind of want to bend the rules a little bit. Don't, don't you do that? If you step across the line, don't you wish, oh, I, I realize that I, I should be held accountable to this. But, for example, I was most recently reminded of this last night. I went to AutoZone to return some brake pads to AutoZone. And I did the brakes on my, on my wife's van um, Friday. And I'd been hearing this sound. Um, on the left side, for probably well over a month, this left front tire, that's called the nickname Tattletail. It's like, it's time to change your brakes, okay? That's the sign you should go and take care of that. Well, I just kind of delayed. Then this side, and then eventually this became, and you may have heard that before. What that means is you've actually worn through the pad and into the, you know, actually into the metal and so of of the whatever the pad is attached to. And so, you know, I went into AutoZone on Friday night and I said, hey, do I have any, any brake pads on warranty right now? And they said, yeah, you do. They looked it up. You've got these. Oh, great. So what do I need to do? They said, well, here, we'll give you these. You pay for them. You bring back the old pads. You have a lifetime warranty on them. You just wear through them and you bring them back. And so you don't have to pay for them. I'm like, this is amazing, you know. And so I, I get the new pads. And then he says, the, the big condition is that you haven't worn down to the metal. You just said there has to be some pad left because we want to recycle these, these pads. Oh. <laughs> now, again, I'm a rule follower. And I'm thinking, man, I'm pretty sure when I get through this brake job and I pull off this side, it's probably I've worn through the whole thing. And uh, sure enough, I get, I get the left side. Everything's looking good. There's a little bit of pad left. I get to the right side, and I'm down to the metal. And it's, it's just like you can see the bolts. You know, it's grinding on these bolts from that from whatever holds the pad in place. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to be able to get that. You know, because the rules say you wore through the pad. So I'm thinking about, well, how can I get around the rules? You know, I'll hide it in the bottom of the box. Maybe he won't look. Or maybe I'll, you know, I'm trying to think about what to do. And so I finally resigned myself yesterday to just drive down there and say, three out of four ain't bad, right? <laughs> and so I do. I just said, you know what? He's, he said, oh, you're here to return your brakes? Great. And I was like, yeah, but I wore through the pad on one of them. And he said, oh, it's fine. It's fine. I know you come here a lot, and I'll, I'll return them for you. And I'm just like, thank you. You know, thank you. I was really grateful. I, he didn't need to do that. He certainly could have said, here's the rules, and you knew the rules, and you broke the rules. But he extended grace to me. He gave me my money back. He, he let me to continue to use this. I, I don't know about you, but I desire grace from others but it's hard to extend grace to others, isn't it? It's hard for me to give grace to people when they offend me, when they hurt me. But I want grace when I've been the one that needed it. Typically, if someone cuts me off on the freeway or if someone irritates me and I could show them grace, in my mind I'm thinking, they don't deserve it right now. They, they need to pay. And I, I'm sure you probably saw similar things. I think it's safe to say that I'm probably not the only one here who's given up on people 
far earlier than they needed to be given up on. Scripture says that, that there's actually uh, a struggle or tension that we have when it comes to extending grace. We want to receive grace, but we struggle to extend grace to others. Um, there's an example in the Bible of, of people who were tired of others, and so they gave up. There's another example of ministry partners who, who got annoyed over a situation, and some of the partners involved in the ministry got annoyed with another partner, and so they decided to break, you know, just kind of break company and... and I'll go this way, you go that way. I don't want to work with that guy. There was really like, you know, parting of ways. Another church leader, Peter, at one point, he was offended by the lifestyle of others. The kind of the cultural um, lifestyle choices that others were making. And so he withdrew and kept his distance from certain kinds of people. This is kind of the norm, I think, for us. Is We're not the most gracious people, but we love it when people are gracious to us. I'd like to invite you to pull out that listening guide you'll see, and we're going to walk through this together. At the top it says this, it seems safer to relate and reach out to people who are like us. It's, it's like we have a strike zone of people that we'll relate to. Here's my strike zone. Yours might be a little bigger than mine, but here's my strike zone. You know, it's, you got to fit this box. Don't we think this way? Like, if, you know, if you're, because in our mind, we're all pretty easy to get along with, I think. In my mind, I'm like super flexible. Anybody can get along with me, and you probably think the same thing that I do. You know, I, We're all just such a flexible bunch, but why is it that we have such a small strike zone about who we really will allow close into our lives? Typically, we think, well, they just don't deserve it. They're not in the, they're not in the strike zone. So I want to look at a story of someone who wrestled with this tension of who do I relate to, who should be reached, who should I reach out to, who should I be responsible to, to reach out to. I want, I want to introduce you to Jonah. You've probably met Jonah before. He is a prophet, a century prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. Most people have probably heard the story of Jonah. Um, you know, Jonah, the big, great fish, Jonah and the fish, Jonah and the whale. People have argued about this story and whether or not it actually happened. And so I don't want to get sidetracked on that. People do get, you know, shut off the, their ears because um, they think, how can anyone live for three days in the belly of a, of a fish? Three days, three nights. Um, if the story, I do think it's a historical story that this happened. And it would have required miracles, you know, several miracles for this to happen. And Jonah's name is recorded in the Old Testament as a prophet. Jesus actually mentions that Jonah, he mentions Jonah in his I'm teaching about his resurrection. He refers back to as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, three nights, so the Son of Man. So Jesus refers back to Jonah. And I think it's best when it comes to debatable matters to side with Jesus. If Jesus was good with Jonah, then I'm good with Jonah. Even on the things that are hard to take, I, I go with Jesus. And But having said all that, I don't want you to, to shut off from here on out. If you If you think... This story is a myth, and you just don't believe it's a historical story. Then put it in the category of a myth with a message, like you would watching a movie. We all watch movies, we read books that are fiction, and we, when we read those things, we know they're not true, but we're still somehow inspired to be a better father, mother, husband, wife, boxer, gladiator. You know, you watch these things, and you're inspired to action. So if you need to put it in that category, that's fine too. You'll be able to follow along. But let's look at this together. Take a look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, 
the son of Amittai, and he gives him this assignment. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, this was a city 500 miles to the northeast of where Jonah lived. And he says, preach against that city because its wickedness has come up against or come up before me. At this point, Israel had enjoyed some peacetime, about 40 years of peacetime. So its enemies, the Assyrians, and, you know, there was not war going on between them. And so in Jonah's mind, this did not sound like a, a great time to have this diplomatic talk with their enemies, with Israel's enemy. And so he, he, he does this, verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. Now Tarshish sat on the southern coast of Spain, which was about a 2,300-mile trek across the Mediterranean Sea. He, he, you know, God says, I want you to go 500 miles north to this group of people and preach against them because of their wickedness. He says, uh-uh. And he hops on a ship. Verse 4 says, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship boarded for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know, he couldn't have chosen a further destination than to go all the way over there to, to Tarshish. He just decides to get far, far away. He couldn't just say no to God. Instead, he runs in the opposite direction. So just a few things I want to point out in this story. First, Jonah ran from God. Pretty clear. He ran, and he ran out of fear. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which is one of Israel's most vicious enemies. These people, they turned cruelty into art. They, they knew how to do cruelty. They had perfected torture. And so from Jonah's point of view, this group of people in Nineveh, they were not worth saving. They were people that he'd just written off. And he figured, why would anybody want to go to them? So he ran out of his sense of fear for them and also probably out of a sense of what he thought people deserved. In his mind, this group of people didn't deserve grace. They deserved judgment. In his mind... They're on their own, in a sense. So he ran, he went and paid passage. And he hops on a ship that would take him far, far away. He boards the ship. I'm just going to walk you through it. He says he puts his possessions in the hold and he heads down below to go to sleep. And then as the, as the ship begins its voyage, the Lord sends this storm their way. It says the Lord caused the wind to begin to, to basically... He sent a great wind on the sea and it caused this, you know fierce storm and so the sailors they're starting to throw stuff overboard trying to figure out is there something on on board that's causing this storm someone may must have made a god angry so they start praying to their different various gods and then they can't settle the storm down they start casting lots which was this form of decision making kind of divine or divination decision making it's like almost like drawing straws in a sense let's see who who draws the bad straw? Because they're trying to figure out this supernatural event that is happening must have been caused by someone on board. And so they start drawing lots or casting lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. And eventually they question him and say, Who are you? Where are you from? Tell us about yourself. And so he says, I'm a Hebrew. He reveals his name. His, he says, I'm a Hebrew. And he says that he worships the God of heaven, the one who made the sea, and the dry land, he admits, this is all my fault. He's like, this, this whole thing is my fault. And rather than repenting and just asking for forgiveness, because I'm sure at this point Jonah could have just said, God, I blew it. I'm so sorry. I, I'll do it. And he tells everyone, just take me back to the, you know, to, to the port. Rather than doing that, he says, just throw me overboard. 
He would rather die, it sounds like, than go to carry out this mission to Nineveh. He didn't think they deserved it in a sense. And so he attempts suicide by sailor. And honestly, the the sailors that were with him, they start trying to row back because they don't want to throw him overboard. But the storm gets more fierce. And eventually they say, okay. And they, they throw him over and the sea settles down. His disobedience nearly killed him. His decision to just run in opposition to God, it nearly cost him his life. It almost appears that, again, that he would rather just die than go to carry out this mission. So they throw him overboard, and then Jonah, he found himself in desperate need of help. He's at the lowest possible point. In his mind, again, this group of people, the Ninevites, they were beyond reach. They couldn't be rescued. Here he is at the lowest point. But God's not through with Jonah. God rescued Jonah when he absolutely needed it, but didn't deserve it. This is a really important point to make. God had not given up on Jonah. Instead, when he totally needed God's help, but he didn't deserve it at all, God stepped in and rescued him. Look at verse 17. But the Lord provided. See, this was all God's in control, his causing this to happen. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. He's in the pitch black belly of some sort of a fish, That's Jonah's story. And I'm sure to some extent you probably can identify with some part of that. Whether it's just running from God, running away from what maybe something you know He would want you to do, or maybe it's just even the part of the people that were in Nineveh and just that they're they're on their own, they're struggling to, to do life God's way, they have no sense of right and wrong. And so, I don't know where you land in this story. One of the things that I identify with is the fact that Jonah had a small strike zone with who he was going to relate to and what he was willing to do in relationship to his belief about this group of people. There's some things I think we can take away. First, we need to remember this. Extending grace to others requires that I understand my own personal need for it. If I'm going to extend grace to people, I need to keep in mind how much I need grace myself. After Jonah's whole ordeal, he wrote out the prayer that he prayed while inside the stomach of the fish. And it reads this. It says in verse chapter 2, verse 1, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. How many times have we done this? We're like, we're not really acknowledging God, but then we're in trouble. And we say, God, please come through. Please help me. If you'll just get me out of this now, I'll serve you. I'll, I'll follow you. I'll do what you're asking me to do. Well, Jonah cries out to God in his distress. And he said, and he answered him. From the depths of the grave, he's in life or death situation. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You see, the sailors physically picked up Jonah and they threw him into the water, but God, he was the one that created the circumstances. And the sailors were merely carrying out God's discipline upon Jonah. God was still in charge. This was... God was working through this. It goes on and says in verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. O Lord, my God. Have you ever been in that lowest point where you're just crying out to God? Like You're on the edge 
death. You're on the edge of breaking down. This was Jonah. Verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He's declaring he hopes in a God who is like no other. There are people that cling to things only to be let down. He's saying those who cling to worthless idols, you know, they're forfeiting what could be theirs, the hope or the grace that they could find in the one true God. Then he says, But I with a song of thanksgiving will, sac- will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Receiving grace is so much easier than extending it to others, though. I want, I want grace. I want God to answer me when I'm in my distress. But I struggle to step in to reach out or to, to show concern or care for those that are in distress themselves. Don't you struggle? I, I know I do. When others are struggling, if I remember my own struggles, like what Jonah is saying here, my patience and my compassion for others, it's increased. When someone's struggling, if I only think about how, how, the, you know, how well they caused the mess that they're in right now, other than thinking, man, I've been in some real extreme messes myself, and I can't believe God would rescue me out of that. If I'll consider and I'll remember what God has, has rescued me from, and understand how I really needed His help, then I'm able to step in and extend that same grace and help to others. We also need to remember who has the power to save and what He did to reach us. Jonah declared that God saved him. He was pointing to the fact that God was the one that rescued him. For us, for those of us who've decided to follow Christ, then Jesus rescued and delivered me. I need to remember that. For those of, of you that have decided to follow Him, you need to keep this in mind. It wasn't yourself that pulled yourself out of the pit. You did not rescue your own life, but God, through His Son Jesus, He rescued you. He delivered you. Paul, a key church leader in the first century, he always seemed to keep this in mind, that Jesus delivered him. He was a man like Jonah who was drowning in his sin. He was running in a totally different direction. He was persecuting the church. He was blaspheming Jesus and his followers. And he was trying to eliminate this threat, this movement known as Christianity. But then Jesus appeared before him and, and got a hold of his life. Turned his life in a totally different direction. Gave him a new purpose. Sent him moving in a clear Clearly new direction. He says this. He says in verse 14. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 14. It says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. He realized he needed God's grace, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, Of whom I am the worst. Wow. He really understood. He'd been rescued and delivered. By Jesus. He's saying, if God, you know, verse 16, it says, But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. He's saying, if God was patient and gracious enough to save me, then, you know, it's giving us hope for the rest of us, basically. He, he says, I was the worst of sinners. He was trying to wipe out. Murder followers of Christ. He's saying, wow, I'm the worst of sinners, that God would rescue me, use me. That's hope for us. So I'd like to encourage you on a few things. First, go back to that day often. 
Go back to the day if you've decided to follow Christ. Go back. Think back to the time when you were rescued, when you decided to stop running your own direction, when you yielded your life to Christ. Go back to that day. Do you remember what you were rescued from? Do you remember what it was like to be running in a different direction, to be dealing with some of the things that you were facing in those days? I remember I was 18. I was empty. I decided I wanted to just live life independent from God. And others could, friends of mine saw it, saw something missing, and close friends of mine began to question and ask me questions. And I remember going to church and my dad calling constantly saying, hey, I'm praying for you, Josh. Have you... He was really praying because he could see I was just not really, I really didn't, I didn't want to do life the way that my family did life. I didn't want to follow a God that I wasn't quite believing in and ready to yield my life over to. So he would call faithfully and just, hey, Josh, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. And I, and I remember going to, and I was playing the, the game that me and God were okay, but clearly I knew I wasn't okay. And at one point, it was like, it's like I knew God was, I could just sense that he was trying to get my attention. I went to a church which was right across the street from the college that I attended. And it didn't matter who was speaking. Didn't, it was like the guy that was talking was speaking directly to me. And some of you probably had similar experiences. But I, I, I felt like that guy, though there was a thousand people it felt like in the room, I felt like that was aimed to me, directed at me, and there was no one else there. And he, he asked people to respond however they wanted to respond as far as a prayer, or if they wanted to walk up and talk with them. And I was just like, I'm there. Nobody else did. But I was like, man, I felt like God was speaking to me. Because I was at a point where I felt like I needed rescuing. I needed direction. And if I don't go back to that day often, it really makes it difficult for me as I'm interacting with people who are at low points. Because I can remember, I, I, I felt empty. I felt far from God. As I remember that, I'm able to just extend that same kind of grace to others. I'm able to, to share the same things that that man was sharing about God's love for me. And it connected with me at that point like it never had up to then. So go back to that day. Secondly, thank Him for your freedom and for your new purpose. Thank Him often for this. Have a, have a heart of gratitude. If you decided to make Christ the Lord of your life, then he has freed you from a few things. One is he freed you from the fear of death, which was the penalty of our sin. We decide to go and do life independent from God, which all of us naturally do. Then the consequence, the penalty of that is death, a separation eternally from God. But he has freed, he's freed us from the fear of death. That's something to give thanks to him for. Also, the power of sin, that's been broken in our lives. Now we still struggle. But thanks to God, He lives in us and He's He's giving us the strength to overcome the struggles that we face in this life. Also, He's just set our lives on a, on a new direction. He's set a new course for our lives, which again, I can be thankful for. And then, in your mind, as you're thinking about what He's rescued you from, or as you're thinking about just your gratitude towards them, in your mind, or even just as you share that with others, make sure that Jesus is the hero in your story when you're talking about what He's rescued you from, put the focus on Him. Make sure that you give Him the credit for all that He did in your life. The reason why this is so important, especially as you're sharing with those who are far from God, is that people need to connect with the living God who has saved you. If they only connect with you, then 
they don't have the hope that you have. Our hope is found in a living God who, who can save. And so as we share with others, make sure you're sharing Jesus and sharing the hope that you found in Him so that they don't just connect relationally to people, but to the one who has saved you. Finally, last thing is, remember that relating to people who are far from God requires that we carve out time. This may sound simple, but if, if you're going to share your life with others and, and open up the strike zone, let's just say, as far as who you'll relate to, who you'll reach out to, then it requires the commitment of time. This is not fully on the screen, but the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they asked his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors? Why does he eat with sinners? Why is it that he does this? And now you've got this verse on the screen, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus can hear these questions to his followers. Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus intentionally, the Son of God intentionally, he got around people who lived nothing like him. They lived lives nothing like him, but he made time. He invested time. So the challenge for us is who am I relating to intentionally? Who do I carve out time for? Is it just this limited strike zone group of people that do life and think and have viewpoints that are the same as mine? Or am I willing to open up my strike zone intentionally to carve out time to reach out to people who are far from God? We're going to look at the rest of Jonah's story over the next two weeks. So really, really important lessons that we can get from Jonah's story. And maybe you can identify with Jonah in some way. It might be that you are running and you're on the run. And you've, as far as obedience is concerned, if you're a follower of Christ and you feel like there's some things you know he's wanting you to do, but you're just, you're running around so you did, he, you, you don't stay anywhere long enough to get, for him to get your attention. You're just constantly on the run, on the move, replacing what he's wanting for your life with things that you would want for your life. Maybe that's where you identify. Or maybe you can just identify with the idea of Jonah and his small strike zone. And you maybe feel like, okay, I need to, I need to broaden this group of people that I'm willing to relate to. And you need to do that purposefully. One of the things that encourages is that you partner with people in trying to reach out to those who are far from God. Many people are part of our congregation that, that just connected with, with people in our church. You might be here today because of that. You might be here because people you connected with others in our church and, and there's something you saw in them that you feel like, I really would like to investigate. I'd like to explore that further. And so that might be why you're here. Um, I want to encourage you, though, to um, respond to the things that God is, is showing you as, you as you sense, you know, I think God's trying to get my attention. If the band can come up, this whole idea of sharing God's grace with others is such a challenge for us. It's probably the most fulfilling activity and purpose on earth, though, to share God's grace. If you've experienced that for yourself, to share that with others, to extend that to others, probably the most fulfilling activity you can put your life to. I think about some of the things that I love to share with other people and that you might love to share. I love sharing good marinade recipes for chicken, and I get all excited about that. I like sharing tools with friends. I like sharing tips. But then I think about, man, I have this treasure of hope and grace and the real life. That, And if I just limit that to a small strike zone worth of people that I'm willing to connect with and relate to, 
There's all sorts of other people that God wants us to include in our lives. And so we have this treasure that we can't afford just to keep to ourselves. Flip over the connection card to the back side, and you'll see there's these next steps. In a moment, our ushers are going to come around and receive our offering, and you can drop this in there. But take a look on the back. Actually, at the top right, it says, top right, it says, send me info about beginning a relationship with Jesus for the first time. It, it could be that you're here today and that you could maybe identify with what I was sharing about how I came to a point where I was running my own course and then God got my attention. And some people, what I've, and even in my own life, I think I'd come to points where I'd get really close and then I'd back off. I'd sense God was trying to get my attention. I'd get close, I'd investigate, and then I'd back off. I'd never really decided to yield my life to Christ. If you're at a point where you've just never made Jesus the boss of your life and you'd like to know how to do that, we'd really love to share that with you. So on the back top right, it's just a send me info about a beginning relationship with Jesus for the first time. We'd love to help you connect with Christ. We'll send you a little information and then we can follow up with you if you have questions about that. Love to create a dialogue for you and another person, um, a leader of our church. And so, and then on the top left, you'll see these three next steps in response to today. First, maybe share your story over lunch with a friend. In this way, you're remembering what God has done in your life. You're you're sharing, man. Look, look, look what God did. Look at what He rescued me from. The life that I lived. Don't take an hour to do that. Maybe share two to three minutes. You know, but share it. Share it often, and then. Do a relationship time study. You might consider, you know, I need to think about this whole idea of who am I willing to relate to? Do I have such a small strike zone? And think through the, the, the typical week, how much time you spend and with who. And just ask yourself, what does that reveal about future and the direction you might want to, new direction you might want to set? Last, ask God to help me see people as he does. Let's do that together. Father, we thank you for this morning we thank you for your love your great compassion we thank you God for this story and the life of a man who who was puzzled and wrestling with grace and, and the way you view people and the way he did and God I'm sure many of us can identify personally and so I pray God that you'd show us how exactly you'd want us to respond changes in our life and I pray you give us the courage, grant us courage to be able to live out those changes. For those that have not yet connected with you and that are here I pray that you would um, you cause them to respond Lord, that they would, if they've been um, seeing that you're initiating with them Lord, I pray that they would respond soon even today Lord, respond to your goodness and your grace that you poured out through your son Jesus and Lord we, we just ask God that you would continue to work in us, Lord, as we're heading into the fall and as we're kind of focusing as a church on your plans for our fall. Lord, we pray that this, through this series, you'd help us to get a clearer picture of your viewpoint and just how you see things very differently than ours. Lord, we pray that we would see things as you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.